squishied it. Hello, squishies. Hello, squishies. Welcome to the Squishcast. I am on Viv, and I am at Andrew. Hey, Viv. Guess what? Yes. You wrote the theme tune to our podcast. Yes, I did. I feel that maybe I should contribute something more. Okay. I feel like I don't give enough. Um, okay. So I have done a remix of the theme tune. What? What? No, no, Andrew. No, it's fine as it is. No, 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 no. I appreciate you being humble, but I wanted to help out. No, it really is absolutely fine, Andrew. You really don't have but to. I, do... But I already have, at great expense, financially and emotionally. That's uh, sweet. But don't you always say you're musically challenged? Oh, completely. Yeah, I'm basically blind to music. Not a rhythmic bone in my body. It's literally ridiculous that you even made me do this. I mean, wait, what? Cue the music! Hello, Viv. Hello, Andrew. Um, we should say off uh, off the top that uh, that we're both uh, recording this remotely. Uh, this we is are indeed. Slightly different setup because uh, we're all over the place. We are roaming podcasters. So if there's a slight difference in audio quality uh, throughout this episode, uh, apologies. It's just we're not where we usually are. So, Viv, as is tradition, what have you been playing? I have been playing this wonderful game that you recommended to me a very long time ago. And I got it on a sale. I heard wishlisted and I got it on a sale. And it's actually just been recently released as uh, something that is free on PlayStation Plus. One of those versions, I think. Uh, I'm not lying when I say that. Uh, which is What Remains of Edith Finch. A uh, really beautiful uh, game. I have platted it. I was very glad. It's one of the uh, few games I've platted recently. I've had time to plat. Um, and the What Remains of Edith Finch is a... Uh, I'm going to read you the description because it's a really beautiful description on the website of it that does a better job of it than I would if I was to stumble my way through it. Um, so What Remains of Edith Finch is a collection of strange tales uh, about a family in Washington State. As Edith, you'll explore the colossal Finch house, searching for stories as she explores her family history and tries to figure out why she's the last one in her family left alive. Each story you find lets you experience the life of a new family member on the day of their death, with stories ranging from the distant past to the present day. The gameplay and tone of the stories are as varied as the Finches themselves. The only constants are that each is played from a first-person perspective, and that each story ends with that family member's death. Ultimately, it's a game about what it feels like to be humbled and astonished by the vast and unknowable world around us. This is created by Jaron Sparrow, the team behind the first-person painting game The Unfinished Swan, which I've not played, but I'm going to check out after playing this. Um, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure I told you to play The, uh, the Unfinished Swan as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you have as well. I'm not sure yeah. if I've got it wishlisted, but um, I definitely will if I don't. Um, 
I mean, that pretty much covers what the game is about. But the way I got to experience all of that is really, really exceptional, I found. There's not very many games that have such a varied way of telling stories visually as well um, as this game. I'm, I'm trying to say words about the game that are not going to spoil this experience for you. But just know that you're going you're gonna to enjoy yourself. It's beautiful, you're going to have a bit of a cry, but in a great way possible. Yeah, what can I say about it? Not like a shooting game, it's not fast-paced. You don't really die in this game, but you are walking through this uh, house and you're experiencing the story and you go into these uh, sort of settings of experiencing them, you know, as I mentioned, on the day of their death. But depending on what that person does and who they are in the family, then determines how you experience the day of their death. So whether that's the art style, whether that's the type of puzzle that you get, whether that's kind of the the storytelling element uh, that becomes different, they kind of, they just vary it from that, what would be that person's perspective based on what they do. It's really like really, really well done and actually quite an easy plat, to be honest, because I went through the whole game and as is customary to both of us, rubbing my nose against everything. So I'd pretty much found most of the things that I needed uh, but once you finish the game, there's also a very easy chapter select. So you can just sort of go back and find those bits that you missed. Only about three hours long, but I really highly recommend. I've not played a good storytelling game like that in a very long time. Other than game I had mentioned in a previous podcast, which was uh, Puppeteer. Those, those two like alone are uh, like some of the best storytelling games I've played in a very long time. I will post some screenshots that I took of the game on a social media. Uh, it is available on PlayStation, Xbox, Switch, Steam, GOG, Epic, you name it, it's available. So uh, whatever platform uh, you use, it should be available on there. Cool, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm really yeah. glad you enjoyed it. It's, yeah, I more than enjoyed it. I would play it again if I hadn't platted it already. <laughs> um, yeah, really enjoyed it. And a good another one that was good for my kind of how my schedule has been and that it didn't take, I pretty much did it in two goes. Because uh, it was, it didn't take that long to. Um, it was only, yeah, really like three hours. And maybe it took a bit longer because I do sometimes just stop and look at things. Um, yeah. And there Sorry. is a PS5 upgrade for it now. Some of the scenes are beautiful, but then you always get also get some of those haptics coming in, and they some of them are really great. Uh, the really moments uh, where you're interacting with the environment, where uh, you know if you're swinging something, you really feel like you're swinging something, or you know, really, really great uh, with the haptics now as well. So. Um, if you own a PS5, you can also look forward to that. Really great. Tell mm-hmm. us, what have you been playing? I have been playing the game Last Stop, which, very much like you, I'm going to have to be quite careful as to how I talk about this game because I didn't know very much about it, and I think, actually, the discovery of it is is important. Good things, it's set in London, and it feels very authentically London, like the architecture's right, it, it, it uh, has different areas of London so you've got um, you've got an estate you've got a suburban area and you've kind of got one of those new build tower block kind of areas as yeah. well that's a, a bit more architecturally expensive looking if you know what I mean mm-hmm. like so it kind of runs like it is the most authentically London feeling game that I've ever played in as much as like there's such a breadth of diversity of the characters. It's it's not a white people game. You're not just nice. playing a bunch of white people and you've got a couple of token background. You are constantly interacting with people from all areas, all ethnicities, all like social groups. Like it's just so really authentically London to me. 
um, which I th it's, it, that just feels really important to me. It represents everyone, which I think it's just it's just really nice. There was one thing that I think like, it's weird because I found it and then I was like, I'm really glad that's there. There's a bit in the game where you are snooping through someone's house. Uh, you're snooping through, she, the person's house you're snooping through, I think she's like a mid-twenties woman that you've met earlier in the game, uh, is presented as a single lady uh, in, the, in the game. And you're snooping through and you're in the bedroom and you're going through looking for things. And if you open the, her drawer next to her bed, there's a vibrator in there. And it's just there, and you you can't interact with it. You can't. It's just there. And I was like, actually, I kind of appreciate that. It's it's there. She's a single woman, and that's just normal. Mm, yeah. Like, the, like there's yeah, yeah, like yeah. the the character doesn't make any reference to it. The game doesn't make you do anything or look at it or anything like that. It's just a, another item, like every other item that you've seen in a drawer in her house. Right, and, and you, like, I'm assuming that it's not essential that you interact with that dual source if you don't open no, it. No, 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 yeah, you wouldn't which is see great. It. I feel like yeah, I feel like this is really nice because actually it's the you know if you are a player that really rubs your nose against everything and loves to look at you know a character's things to almost shape that character, then yeah. and then you don't have to open that drawer and you just so yeah. fine you go oh, okay like she. It, you know, she is a person who likes to have fun when she's by herself. Yeah. You know, it's 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 not played as a joke. It's just played as it's just shown as something that's in her house that is her belongings in this very real environment. But, you know, you go you go to a dresser and you uh, open the drawer and there's one of the drawers is just full of all of her makeup things, yeah, like all of her nice. blushes yeah, and all yeah. of her things. And it's just like if you open the drawers under a TV, it's all of her movies, and you know, it's just that's just what's in her house. And I actually was like, I'm really refreshed by positive sex yep. imagery, and it's it's not a joke, and it's not condemned. It's just is. And I was like, cool, go for it. Well done. Nice. I appreciate um, that. But the general gist of the game, it's a sci-fi game. I will put that out at the top. Set in London. It's three. I don't know if the word is interlinking or overlapping stories, but you play as three characters in three stories and they do sort of come together at the end. Uh, there are six chapters and each chapter starts with the three characters and you can select which character you want to play first but you have to play each of the three characters before you can move on to the next chapter. So you can play them in any order. I, tend, I did it the same order in each chapter but that's just me that you could if, if there's one particular story you want to see immediately you can pick them at the beginning of the next chapter so you've got donna her teenage friends and it's kind of like a kidnapping kind of thing that's going on with them mm -hmm. you've got john and his story is kind of like a body swap comedy that's quite that's like a, a nice change of pace then you've got mina and her story is kind of like a espionage political kind of a thing but a family drama all mixed in so you've got three really different stories and three really different characters and the people going on and what those stories are about are very different and that's kind of all I really want to say about it I guess gameplay wise you'd find it most similar to something like a telltale game mm, okay. or the walking dead but there's there's not really any inventory management it is very much moving to an environment conversations happen you can choose dialogue options and the story sort of continues. So you're not, I don't think there's any branching narratives. I don't think you change the story. It is a set narrative, but you kind of influence how those people act because the dialogue options also aren't exactly what you're going to say. They're your internal reaction. So if somebody says something to you, you'll see something like, oh, they're being weird. 
that's a strange thing to say. Why are they saying that? So your response is kind of how you think the character is feeling about what somebody else has said to them. Does that make sense? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it may be the same piece of dialogue that they will say on all three options, but you're influencing how they say that piece right. of dialogue yeah but yeah i just I, I was really fascinated by the story i like how it's told it's really beautiful the cinematography is really stunning in times i like how they do bits and pieces uh, i like how mina's story starts and i like how that affects how you see st her story as it progresses i found i was very all over the place with that story of going like oh my god i i, I thought i had a, had a handle of how i feel about this and now and now because it's that political kind of thriller things. There's lots of twists and turns. I really like the three teenagers. They were a lot of fun. And John's story is just very funny and he's got a he's got a daughter who is just adorable. Yeah, story-driven thing. I just, I really loved it. It's a team that made a game called Virginia a few years back that I enjoyed, but I think this is a much stronger effort that they've, they've come out with. Uh, I think it came out last year, uh, but I've only just got around to playing it. But yeah, 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 yeah. it's on everything. It's Amazing. On Switch. Lovely. Uh, I played it through PS Plus Extra because it's on there. Just want to give a shout out to Annapurna Interactive, who were the you know the publishers for both What Remains of Edith Finch and <laughs> Last Stop. Last Stop, and they were the publishers for some of our favourite games. So they did these two games. They published uh, Stray, Outer Wilds, The Artful Escape. They did uh, Maquette as well and uh, obviously The Unfinished Swan as well, Journey, and something that I'm not a fan of, but Andrew is uh, Ho Hokum, also published that. Um, but, you know, BAFTA, everyone... BAFTA, BAFTA award-winning Ho Hokum? Yeah, I mean, everyone has to have a dark spot in their record or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, big shout-out to Annapurna Interactive. They've got some of our favourite games in there. Good choices, good work. And that's what we've been playing, Viv. And that's what we've been playing. <laughs> it's an exciting episode today, Viv. Yes, it is. We have a guest joining us. It's always interesting for us to speak to people from different facets of design and hearing their insight into how people go about making their favourite games. Today we are joined by a composer whose credits include the games Planet of the Apes, Last Frontier, Star Smashers and Psy. I hope I pronounced that right. It's Stephen Coulter! Hi, Steve. Hello. Hi, everyone. Hello. How you doing? I'm very well, thank you very much. Long time no speak, Andrew, and yeah. nice to meet you, Viv. Oh, it's lovely to meet you, Steve. It's really, really lovely to meet you. I've heard lots of really great, wonderful things about you from Andrew. <laughs> and I've played Planet of the Apes. It's, yeah. oh, yeah, it's so good. What did you think? Oh, it's so good. It's it's so good. I um, I played it with you, right, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, we played um, yeah. We played it on stream back in, the, back in the day. Yeah, it was um, the best, like, film I've ever played <laughs> it was such a great project it really was because it, it like you say it's, it's an interactive film and um yeah I, I was sort of the main role was a composer but also working across sound design too so there's there was a lot of work that went into it from my side um and lots we can talk about amazing I'm, I'm looking forward to um hearing all about it but before we get to all the juicy gaming stuff we would really love to hear more about you um, and we were wondering, what's your earliest memory of music or what drew you to composing and doing what you do? Yeah, I think it's, it's one of those that I've, I've always been into it. I, I grew up with, with music, um, so I did piano and keyboard lessons at a, quite an early age. I was just really, really into it. Uh, I think there was, there was gaps that I had 
throughout high school where I stopped and then I came back to it and, and, and then all through college and obviously university where I met Andrew, it's, it's just been a huge part of my life. Um, so the technology side of things alongside playing keyboard and it's just enabled me to, to try all sorts of different soundscapes, work on loads of different projects and I'm, I've sort of carried that through for all of my work um, going forward as well with, with my like TV, game um, and film music as well as teaching which is a huge part of what I do now as well. Was, was there a point as a child when you went from listening to music and going I enjoy music to going oh, somebody created that, and then that was interesting. Like, how do I make that? Yeah, I, I think my I had a really good keyboard teacher um, when I was quite young, and he, I think learning those fundamentals at the start is really important. And then I got to a point where rather than wanting to play other people's stuff, I kept making my own tracks, and, and that's what was, was drawing my interest. This is when I was, um, you know, in the early years of high school. And so I, rather than doing more grades, I ended up spending my time just coming up with different ideas and trying different chord progressions and, and writing songs, quite frankly. Um, and that's, that's the thing that really then got me into technology and, and how can I then transform that into a bigger arrangement, even though it's just me um, playing everything. Music tech, a huge, huge part of my whole life, really. My dad was a drummer in a band. Um, so that was quite good sort of growing up that my dad sort of ha- obviously had a sort of a keen interest in music. I'm the only one in my family that's gone this route. So it's it's not like it's something that is it's been done um, previously. It's it's just something I've always loved doing. And that's why I've tried to continue it in in lots of different ways, really. OK, weirdly personal question. How your... <laughs> no, no. But how, how, how are your kids reacting to music? Are they like Ugh, music? Don't care, dad. Or they're like, oh, music, dad. My youngest, so Isla is two. She okay. absolutely loves it. So she's she's always wanting to play on, on in the studio, and she, yeah, we've got her involved. My eldest, who's six, she's definitely into it, but more on the microphone side of things. So it's it's yeah, different. I think I could definitely see my youngest being a getting into the production side a bit more. It's even from that age, there's an interest there, hundred okay. percent. I always love this because I think also you can take quite a lot of cues, I guess, from from parents, and I know that. Uh, quite a lot of the kids that I'm around, they tend to listen to music, and because of what I do, they start performing for me. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. My actual profession, I work in dance, uh, Steve, and uh, so quite a lot they just stop performing, which is really great. So less the less they singing, more more sh- shaking shaking their stuff. Yeah. It's really great. Well, I, I I definitely can't claim to be a good dancer, so thankfully I'm good at music <laughs> instead. <laughs> <laughs> and we appreciate you. When I was listening. To your stuff you've got uh, you're talking about your music tech and just being able to create bigger arrangements and just when I was listening to some of your stuff there's really like some epic stuff that you did obviously you know for Planet of the Apes but then really also just quite uh, beautiful I'm going to say piano but I'm very ignorant mm-hmm. uh, stuff for like other other things um, which I just I really f- like I loved your range of music that you had I thought it was just really really uh, great I think you've probably summed, summed me up really well there in those things. It, 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 that, they're probably the I am as, available as, I, as a manager, <laughs> if you're not joking. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to get asked to do two, two styles. That They're the ones I most commonly sort of come across to me. So, And there is a range. So obviously, 
epic stuff like planets but in that in that project there was a lot of emotional stripped back minimal arrangements because there was there was a lot of human stories yeah. in there um but then the one that's probably most surprising is that i i i do music um for production libraries um and probably my biggest sink over the last few years has been married at first sight australia um, in terms of wow. like, the advertising side yeah. of things. So it, there's a real, wherever your music goes, there's always a style that I've got, but it will it will transcend across all sorts of different platforms. And I think that's the way of a modern composer, really. I think I have a question. I'm not sure if it's going to come out as a question, uh, but because <laughs> you spoke about kind of sticking, st- you know, doing the two things and how important is it or have you in the past turned down any projects if it felt like it was something that was going to take you out of what you do? And I ask this because you can get quite lost in taking on a job sometimes. And I know that even in my the industry that I work in is the same. You can get quite caught up with taking jobs and then, but some of them are not really what you do. So there's only so much that you can give. I think there's always a big part of it, choosing something that you know you're adding value to it and it, it suits your style, it suits the, your approach. Um, but then equally, I mean, Andrew will probably come in here. I mean, Andrew sent me a few briefs over the years that um, <laughs> have, have been a little bit out of my comfort zone. I think the Kazakhstani rock I remember on a vampire. It was, yeah, it was, wow, East, was Eastern a, European action Eastern movie. Europe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that was a challenge. Um, so, 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 but, but then you put your own sort of whether it's the like the way you've produced it or yeah, the instruments yeah. you're using or the session players that you you have that you've worked with previously. Um, I think all of those things, then you can add your your own take. And I think that's that's where it's exciting. Really, there's only so many notes, but it's the the timbre of how things are put together. It's how you know your the recording chain everything is what makes it slightly different that's what will never change really you're constantly evolving and trying new ideas but a piano is a piano yeah um it's then adding all the different elements and and how you're playing that piano how you're recording it what you what you put alongside that then makes it different and modern and and the thing at the minute really is that's been quite prominent over the last few years is sort of a Scandinavian influence. So like the felt piano is quite common in, in lots of, sort of TV based works and, and film as well, which is a softer film, um, which is what I used on one of the youth theatre projects with Andrew last last year. Just it's, it just fits in really nicely. It's more got that more of an emotional touch, which is good for mm. some storylines. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, what what is your process then for for when you compose from the inception of the idea and somebody coming to you like how, where do you start when you start writing music for a, a project for me personally I'll, I'll always start on a piano because if it sounds good on that then you know that you've got something to work with um so that that's why always my personal things so i'll 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 come up with an idea initially on the piano then I'm still Logic. I mean, I've used pretty much most DAWs, so digital audio workstations, um, but my preference is to be Mac-based, so I, I do all of my composing in Logic, and then I tend to mix in Pro Tools, but that's changed in in recent years to Reaper on, on game-based works. There's, there's a few sort of... I don't want to go too techie here, but there's a few sort of different reasons behind that. No, no, um, I, I would yeah. say go techie. Um, yeah, be, yeah. I hope, I hope there's somebody that's listening that will be like, oh, that's... <laughs> Some somebody would would find that really interesting. No, no, go for it. 
Well, logic is logic's Mac only. Um, so that that's one of the the things that has been potentially a stumbling block for not everyone using it. But if you are Mac based, I I I generally think that logic is the best way to to compose. Pro Tools traditionally has been the industry standard for for mixing, but for for composing, I would probably say it it isn't recognised in that way. And, and Reaper is a, a newer option. And I say newer in, in sort of loosely here because it's it has been around for a little while. So in terms of creating interactive soundtracks, there's a there's a lots and lots you can do to, to make the workflow quicker within Reaper. So if you are under a t- quick deadline, which if you're working in those fields, usually you are, then Reaper is, is a really good choice. And it's a great one if you're trying to get into working in, in composition and sound design because they offer free trials and it's a lot more cost effective than something like Pro Tools. There's a few different sort of options. There's no right or wrong. It's whatever you feel most comfortable in. I've got templates in Logic um, going back to the original question where if I'm asked to do a sci-fi project then I've got virtual instruments, I've got like um, effects and processes all laid out ready for me to compose. If I'm asked to write something that's a bit more romantic, piano-based, then I've got a template for that. And then it just evolves and and changes because I like to do something different on each, each project really. Hardest question to ask a creative, where do your ideas come from? (laughs) <laughs> that's a good that is a good question like do you know, all, all three of us would be like okay this is going to take time to answer <laughs> yeah. but do you know through lockdown one of the things i really learned was when i'm at my most productive and when i need to take a break and all those things so i i know that i work much better in terms of coming up with ideas in in the evening so sort okay. of late afternoon evening is probably when i'm at my most creative and then i use the mornings for editing and and doing more sort of admin based works again this is just just me but if it takes me longer than a few hours to come up with an idea then it's obviously not going to quite work for that project so i I'll, won't delete it i'll keep it and I'll, I'm sure I'll use it again at some point in the future. But I'll, I'll just, I'll just start again. I think that sometimes that is the way to go. Um, not, not try to force it, because mm-hmm. otherwise you'll then spend days on something that isn't potentially quite right. And then yeah. you just need to t- step away, go for a walk, do, do something else, um, come back into it, and, and then that gives you the ideas back. And that's t- what I tend to do in the summer as well. I'll always have a little bit of a break. And then I'm absolutely desperate to get back in the studio, come up with different ideas, and and that's what that keeps keeps it going for me. That's so okay. interesting. It's interesting that um, quite fine now when you ask this question of anyone about ideas and where did they come from. It's less about because I guess you can get ideas from anywhere, or you know you kind of you're always intaking in information. But really, it's about the space that you're creating for yourself that plays a massive part in when when those things come together. Because you know there are no new ideas. But you know, like the, the the time that a creative needs to bring those things together, it almost requires something I read a long time ago. This is not the words I'm going to bastardize the article, but something about creativity requiring a level of doing nothing or boredom. You need. I think you mentioned the the right word there, Viv, which is space. I think you you need yeah. a creative space. You need something that's separate that is is classed as work. You know, you've got a separate place to work, but you've equally you're you're in the right headspace, and it is a lot of I, I do quite a lot of, with my students because I teach at the University of Hertfordshire and I'm I'm, I'm really big advocate for sort of mental health awareness and 
There's a fantastic charity, by the way, called Safe in Our World, which is a gaming-based charity. Nice. Um, which, which you, if, if any of your listeners haven't seen, it's, it's just a brilliant resource for lots and lots of reasons. Gaming, music, all of these things have a huge positive effect on, on your well-being. But if you're creating that content, equally, you've got to be in the right mood for the thing that you're trying to create. In the same way an actor would, would get into the, the role, it's the same, I feel, with my, with my music projects is knowing the brief, knowing the storyline, try to get into that character, and then you're able to create something that fits that particular narrative. Absolutely. As a dance creative, I have to do the same. It's very difficult. I can probably come up with an idea in my own house, but until I have the space to like explore what that might look like physically, then it doesn't really... you know, Which is yeah. very difficult over lockdown, because it was all in my living room. And... Um, kind of just pushing everything to the side and yeah, making it work. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got this idea, but it's going to be an L shape because I have to move around my TV and my couch. Um, it's oh, it was such a challenge. Well, I, I'm, we've I had obviously two young children as well. During lockdown, I having having that separate space of being able to go out into my studio, I, I created so much content there that I just don't think I would have done before before if I had not been working remotely all the time mm. it just meant I could go out for walks I could come back and do different things I could still do my my other work but everything just it just came together it's it, I think as a life as a composer where we've been pretty much in lockdown for anyway so we're sort of yeah. used to we used yeah, to work yeah. like that we're quite happy by being by ourselves and doing things but <laughs> it's uh, but it's in a good way but then you still need people we still need people to talk to and, and interact with but it's that separate space to be able to work a creative environment whether it's the the lighting that you've got it sounds silly but just like the desk and the chair everything it it, it does make a yeah. big big difference yeah it does like i was just gonna say like i don't have a big flat and but during lockdown i bought a big desk i had a, a small a really tiny desk and all I did was like, I cannot, like I need, this is going to be a space that I'm going to need to sit down on. Before it was like, I either put my laptop and my keyboard and my tea, or I have my monitor and my, like I can't have it all in there. So I bought this huge desk where the printer can go on there, the the, the monitors can go on, the my laptop can still sit on the desk and there's still space yeah. for my cats and my tea yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of thing. And it made, it made a huge difference because it meant that even though I wasn't leaving, I was sitting in this space and a, the space felt, as expansive as it c I could make it in that yeah. time, which meant Definitely. that when I sat down, I actually worked as opposed to having to just sit down on the sofa or whatever. It makes a huge difference because you can also step away from that space when you need to. Yeah, definitely. Couldn't agree more. All right, Steve. You talked about your earliest life and listening to music, doing your piano, going into your own composing, and then you went and studied music at university. Can you tell us the journey from university into your professional career? It definitely wasn't one of those people that walked straight out of university into the dream job. It just, it didn't work that way. I, I really had to sort of work hard and take some risks. I came out of uni, I obviously worked on quite a few different sort of films, student films and projects. That's the thing that I, I really loved doing. Games wasn't even on the radar at that point. There's not, there was nothing that we'd been taught about or even been made aware of of working in that field. And so I, my first job out of university was actually as an acoustic consultant. It was loosely connected to my degree, but it certainly wasn't something that I thought I would be doing when I started. And I did really enjoy it, but there, there was a lot of driving involved. And so I, I did that job for, for about a year. And then 
ended up coming back to my sort of hometown, if you like, in, in Bury St Edmunds, where I worked in as a music technician for a local college. And it's when I was working there that I, I started doing a lot more of my own music at home. I then got a, a chance to, to take a PGCE, like a teacher training um, qualification, which I really enjoyed. And that sort of progressed into teaching at the college and then becoming course leader for a music production degree. And I was quite young at that stage to be doing that, um, but we... We sort of, I put in some new modules and topics that were games and film um, based. One of my students was David Halston, who is a BAFTA Ivor Novella nominated composer. He sort of came from that course and he's doing really, really well, like amazingly well, such a talented um, composer. And he probably most famous for working on um, with Mike Bithell for like Thomas Was Alone is the first one. Oh wow. Um, but done but done loads and loads of things, you know. Check out his work because it's awesome. I, I did that job for five years and and then just felt now's the time for me to to take a calculated risk and set up my own sort of self employed business and try to network and and have a go at doing it myself, which was a big jump at that time because I had a mortgage. I was just about to get married, and I remember coming home um, one day and I said said to to my wife to be, "Don't worry, I've left my job, but I've got a plan." Um, <laughs> it's all gonna be fine. I know you have a wedding it, and a mortgage to pay, but it's all gonna it, be fine. It'll be fine. And I spent sort of twelve to eighteen months, I say, networking, doing different things, and I, I worked with some brilliant people on a game called Interlight, and that was a, a company based in Ipswich. I spent way too long on that project from an audio perspective that I probably should have done from a financial aspect. <laughs> I learned a ton. I learned so much. Mm. So I, I ended up, that's how I really got into using Unity, um, sort of the game development software, which is not something I'd really used a huge amount previously. So that was a big learning curve and not just creating the content, but learning how to implement the sounds into the game. That particular skill set then enabled me to get some more work because my, my soundtrack for Interlight was was particularly popular and I started working on a few more indie games so you mentioned Star Smashers at the beginning uh-huh. there was a, a sort of a, a few a few others sort of um, around that time like three, three or four PC games and I didn't notice I didn't realize at the time but my work was being noticed and got an invite down to a new game studio which was called the Imaginati which okay. was down in Ealing Film Studios and I didn't know what the project was but I was just invited down to to, to talk to them and it happened to be a new blockbuster indie triple I think is probably the right title for it um, called Planet of the Apes which I which I pitched for and and got the gig and wow. then I at the time at the beginning of that game I was the only audio person so I was at the beginning of it I was doing sound design music and and audio lead as it's shown sort of in, in the credits across the whole project and, and then as it got you know the project progressed obviously I can't do everything myself so I <laughs> I needed I needed help and so we we had a number of other people that came on board including one of my ex-students which which was really lovely who lived locally Aww. to me and Callum came on board and when I needed the time to, to focus on the music Callum came on board and did an absolutely incredible job with the sound design and yeah we, we were really sort of pushing boundaries I 
think, with the way that it was produced and, and how we were implementing it. So in, in, with that game, I was responsible for not only composing the, the full score, but implementing it into Unreal myself as well. Oh, wow. And, and so that was lovely because it gave me a chance to, to not only just pass stuff across and someone else puts it in, but I was able to really shape every single little transition, every pathway that was in that game exactly how I wanted it to be. Huge amount of work. I absolutely loved it, but it's, it's something I'll always look back on fondly as another chance where I was learning a huge amount and my name will always be attached to a brand that I've always loved anyway. So that mm. that's that's kind of a, a quickish summary of sort of how things how things got to that point. I um I I pre I pre-ordered that game so I got a copy of your soundtrack <laughs> with my my pre as a awesome. pre-order bonus I was very Aww. <laughs> and there was there was like people I'd worked with as session musicians on other on on some of the indie PC games previously like Emma on vocal she'd she'd helped me on planets and and Helen on on violin so it was really lovely to bring some different people along um, with me on that journey but alongside all of this I've always maintained a sort of a passion for being an educator so I, I still kept a day a week teaching at the University of Hertfordshire whilst I was doing Planets and even even now I've, I've been there since 2015 I think I've, I've sort of created like a, a game audio pathway and we've, we've had a huge number of graduate successes every, every single year most recently one of our students Jamal was a co-composer on BAFTA winning Toem I'm not sure if you've played that game um, uh, we haven't uh, but the uh, our friends uh, she's not controlling uh, have have played it and they uh, they loved it and they kept telling us about it it's it's awesome 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 game um, and then students going into lots of sound design based roles at places like Frontier like Jurassic uh, World and um, Rebellion with Sniper Elite there's there's a, there's a really lovely mix of, of sort of our, our students going off into industry and I get a, a massive buzz from that too like having playing a part and in, in helping people into those roles um, and so I'll always have a mixture of that creative side of my own work but also being a, a senior lecturer because I, I enjoy it and um, hopefully I'm making a difference to, to a few people in their in their Sounds creativity. like you are. Ah, uh, Sniper Elite. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's really great. I um, uh, There's two things for me. I, um, I really love this, uh, you're talking about, um, you know, there being a huge amount of work for Planet of the Apes, but then also having had that kind of control over it meant that you could make it exactly how you wanted it. And there's something about, even when something's a really huge amount of work, that when you love what you do, it you know it doesn't it doesn't always feel like work. Some days I'm like, oh, I get to just like you know. Sometimes I'm like, I get to just like prance around for a living. <laughs> this is crazy. And other <laughs> days where it is hard, you know, like like this is just a bad day. Like tomorrow it will be good again. Which I think it's is just really great. It's just in you to do it, isn't it? Whatever yeah. you choose to do, of some, some in, in in what we're working, it's you'll always do it every every day, even if you weren't paid to do it, because it's yeah. just what yeah. you enjoy doing, and and so we're we're sort of fortunate in in that way to be able to, um, yeah, to do what we love. It really is, and and the other thing is is the education thing. I think it's amazing that you were able to bring students into it because it can be quite a difficult industry to get into, and I know I've been always really grateful when I've met someone. And they've mentored me, or you know, they've taught me, and then they just I just get a call and like, well, I've got this gig. It's a really good opportunity for you to just be in the space and build your own connections, and it really catapults 
you forward. Uh, having someone to provide that space for you is really it's so important. I think universities, particularly things like game audio, sometimes get a bad rep. But it, I, the what we do at the University of Hertfordshire, it's. I mean, every topic that I create, we, we, I'm changing it every year. It's always current, and there's a yeah, we've got a track record of of some some really amazing successes. I think that's. Um, a degree is not just about learning the specialist stuff it's all the other things alongside it it's like it is a sort of a rounded experience and I, th I think everyone who's come through so far has, has, has sort of enjoyed it and, and got something got something from the course and and many are working in the games industry because quite mm. frankly that's where the jobs are yeah. um yeah, in, in that area and, and, it, and it sounds like whilst you don't see a huge number of music composition jobs listed, obviously that's more of a freelance, self-employed based position, the, the number of sound design jobs now and things like audio programming and dialogue, which, which isn't talked about as much, but all of those areas now are just expanding so much because of the cinematic stories that are being made and the more mm. space you've got on, on next-gen consoles. Um, and so the audio teams, which which used to be relatively small, are now much bigger, which is then opening up a lot more graduate opportunities. So, yeah, it's definitely a competitive industry, 100%, but, yeah, our, our students are getting work, and so it, it's sort of showing that there is a pathway into it, 100%. And 100% people will be choosing, you know, the university that you teach at because <laughs> of that, because, you know, like, because it really is, because yeah. there's not a lot of places, I think this is with every course, especially in the arts courses where there's quite a, it could, it could be created like a quite an umbrella sort of uh, mm -hmm. way of teaching about a subject and then not really cater to like different pathways of, you know, I know within dance, for example, you get quite a heavy training on classical styles in certain places, but not on mm -hmm. urban styles. And you don't really learn about producing side and you kind of leave and you go, mm, what do I do with all this classical training that I have but don't want to do <laughs> sort of thing. Um, it's really important when someone comes in with that kind of passion and, and this kind of networks and goes, yeah, I'm going to put this in place and then people can look it up and go, oh, this, this at the university does video game uh, yeah, composition. Definitely. And it's, it's it like something that if I was going to be a composer, I would be like, well, I'm just going to go there because, <laughs> you know, they do it. I don't have to fight for it. It, it, it. I think it's about collaboration, isn't it? I think all of our mm. experiences probably, it's, it is all about collaboration. There's a, there's an unbelievable animation department at, at Hearts and, and so the students get to work with with nice. those projects, yeah. and nice. and and we teach on real and and unity as much as the music side of things. So it, yeah, it's it's a nice mix. It's a it's a techie, it's a music tech course, but mm. composition focus. So it's, it's a lovely mix, and I think yeah, that's where we've made a a real sort of not a niche, but we've we've definitely got a reputation yeah. um, in, in those particular fields. It's really amazing <clears throat> with film music. Uh, and game music, Steve. Obviously, they're two different beasts. What's the? Yeah. What would you say is the main difference between working on a linear project and then a non-linear narrative? Because you can't control when people in a playing a game are going to go somewhere. Yeah, if that makes that's sense. A, that's a great question. Yeah. So, so with with a film, traditionally you would get picture lock. Picture lock meaning that from a composer's perspective, not everything will look polished at that stage from on the film but timing wise you know that you can start to score 
to particular time codes, to particular hit points, and that will never change. So it, it like you say, linear, it starts at zero and it ends at, you know, ends at an hour. It, it's, it's something that will always just follow that path, that set pathway. With a game, when you're working on something that's non-linear based, it's all about having different transitions and cues and, and creating ways in which the music can evolve. And there, there's, there's tons of different approaches. Probably the most common way is using packages like um, WYs. WYs is an audio middleware um, tool, which means it's geared towards creating interactive um, non-linear audio workflows so you'd be given different parameters within the game and then as a sound designer as a composer you create assets that would be suitable but then using a package like WYS or FMOD is another good example uh, you can then start to put different um, rules in place. So maybe that if your health is low, then it will only play certain instruments. But then if when your health is full, it plays a, a bigger arrangement. Or it could be that the tempo changes. Or maybe when you step in and out of a particular environment, then the music switches. All of these different rules and parameters you can program that then make it so that the story is, is changing. On, on something like on, on planets, if I give, go back to that example again, that was a fusion of the two because it was it was really we were trying to create a an interactive film and there was lots and lots of different pathways. And with that, I we created our own bespoke audio system within Unreal using the sequencer that's that's within the, the game engine. And that meant that we didn't need to use middleware. Um, we just we made a system that enabled if you chose to go that route. And then after that, you went another route. All of these things flow together naturally. They sort of crossfade between one to the other. It's very, very different working in non-linear to linear. Both have got challenges. Both are really fun. <laughs> so I enjoy yeah. both sides of it. I, I've often wondered what F modern WYs are when I've seen them in credits <laughs> of games. Thank you for explaining that to me. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, the, they're the big two. Um, but I, there's some really... I mean, I'm a massive Unreal fan. I think I've, I've definitely gone that route in terms of, sort of my projects now. And Unreal 5 has recently come out in the last sort of six months or so. Mm. Yeah, we... We both played the um, the, Matrix. the Matrix demo. Oh, My incredible, goodness. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> insane. The Unreal is insane. Yeah, and it's a and it's a brand new audio engine as well. So there's there's loads of stuff that you can do in there that will mean that you perhaps won't need to use middleware as much. But again, there's no there is no right or wrong. It's just whatever the initial stages of the of a project you, you just choose which way you want to go there's quite a few different options um and it, it really it depends usually on what each studio has has is used in the past or or things they're trying to to try out on and what what you're asked to use in terms of your own projects yourselves Steve, do you want to do you want to list off the games you've worked on? Yeah, I can. Just, I can just, do. If, if if you can remember them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. It's a real mix of different different projects. But I say, so Interlight was the was my first ever proper proper released game, and then I did um, a a game which is called Rule the World. Rule the World was all the sound design was was made using a chalkboard. So that was that was quite a that was a really fun okay. one actually. So that's that's something to check out. Um, all, all of these projects, by the way, I'm listing at the minute was music and sound design. So I, I did okay. a bit of both. Star Smashers was a like a sci-fi exploration shooter, which which was quite quite fun. 
Um, so that music on that one was dance inspired, which sort of goes back to my original roots of of creating trance music. That's really where I was, I was doing during college. And then I also worked on a game called The Artifacts. I don't know if you've ever played a, a game called The Room. Oh but, yes. my god, The Room! So so The Artifact was like a space version inspired by that kind of approach to to the sort of to the puzzles, sort of walking okay. around the different areas. That, that I really really enjoyed enjoyed that the person in charge of that project was called colin wren and i worked with colin on planet of the apes so colin's like an environmental artist environment artist and a very very good one at that james brace i worked with on on interlight he he created a lot of the art assets for it and was the art director on planet of the apes so you could see with sort of where these connections were yeah. you know small sellers were made yeah after doing those pc ones i then it was planets and then after that, I had a bit of a break from from games because I I had a had an opportunity to work on a a couple of projects, but I just had I just had my children, um, and I didn't want to move down to um, I didn't want to move away from Norfolk to be honest. At that stage, I was I was really settled and I wanted to spend some time with my with my kids, and so I made the choice to to turn down a couple of roles, which I won't mention on here, um, but. Yeah, but they they were they were very tempting, put it that way, and and so instead I started working, getting more into production music, which is when I started working more and more on on different albums where you get given a brief, and then you they get put into a library, and then if they usually then get paid by PRS, so depending on how how much usage. Um, that they have on, on different projects, um, such as the Married at First Sight um, sort of TV sync. And I've, I'm just working on my 10th album at the minute of that, but I've, there's, there's nine albums currently in, in Warner Chapel production music in America. So that's where a lot of where my music is based. But alongside, I, I then worked on a game called SAI, which Oh, was... that's how you say it. Sorry. Yeah. Which... I, went, I went with Sai. I'm so sorry. No, no, Sai. Sai is cool. But, um, I think you can say it however you like, to be honest. That was a nice project as well because it was all, a lot of the funding from that was from the UK Games Fund. So that was helping some up and coming game developers almost like act as a showreel for what they can do. So that one was show, showcased at EGX. Uh, before lockdowns happens, and I also worked on a game called Just Breathe, which was um, a really good narrative based around mental health. So that again was also showcased at EGX. And yeah, since since then, really, I've been doing sort of consultancy work and and obviously education based work. Starting to write a book for Routledge on game audio, as well as teaching, let's say, at the University of Hampshire and and doing the. And still doing the production music because that just works in my it's a really good lifestyle choice it's probably a good way of putting it where I can do the production music work around family life and and that means a huge amount to me working remotely in the games industry just wasn't a thing three years ago it would have been incredibly tough to convince someone to work full-time remote in, in the games industry, whereas now, obviously, it's the complete flip of that. So that that's where the industry has really changed and has opened up different ch- opportunities going forward. So awesome, Steve. You're, um, you're doing your thing and passing it on. And also, I mean, the book alone will mean that other people will be able to learn about this when you decide you want to move on to something else, which is really, I find really important because it can be quite easy to just do your own thing and move on and 
you know, obviously your music will always live in these spaces, but then, you know, like leaving some sort of legacy behind, I just find it's really incredible. I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's the thing I've probably found the toughest is, is doing the book because it's a bit out of my comfort zone. But then a lot of it has been based around different interviews, almost like what we're doing today um, from, from ex-graduates and, and people working in, in different roles. And that, that's what it's geared towards, really, is just giving an insight in, into what's it really like when you graduate and, and mm-hmm. going into your first job and those sorts of areas. And I think that's not something that's been talked about a huge amount. You see lots of stories about the the huge names in the games yeah, industry yeah. but not as much about sort of the, the first two years of depression first two that you years. get sometimes <laughs> <laughs> that's what i had it's like two years of depression <laughs> because i would get like a job every four or five months <laughs> so i'd have to work somewhere else in all of that house so it's really no it's really, it's really great it's it's tough it's tough and it and it uh, you know it sounds like similarly to, I mean, to how it's, I guess it's just the arts in a way that, you know, there's a lot of word of mouth, there's a lot of networking and, you know, learning that as a skill is really important sometimes just to just finding and getting certain jobs uh, rather yeah. than, you know, not everything's going to be an application. So, you know, it's really great. I think that's a big thing to learn at, at university or college at school is is being comfortable working by yourself a little bit because it's mm. with these sorts of roles you need to be of that type you know you need to be in, in that sort of mindset but but equally you've got to communicate with people so you've still got to be a people person even if you do like being by yourself if that makes sense I know it sort of goes against it yeah. but it's it, having that having that ability to to be um, confident but not overconfident and all those sorts of things is Absolutely. is what gets you hired I always um, say to anyone that I teach that um, you know those first two years they're really hard and you're very likely going to have another job to support you whilst you get into your freelance life or whatever it is that you're going to do mm-hmm. so you, know, you get yourself a customer service job that's what mm-hmm. I did and I just really learned how to speak in there because you have to speak to people all the time and that's really, really good. good advice yeah I always tell them like go for somewhere you know something that is not going to tie you out but you know go for a customer service job I I developed my just being able to speak to people um, very much in a, in there because you have to approach them all the time and um, sell things or whatever. I, you know, I always say that's just you know get a job that gets you speaking, so that when you have to do it later, it's not a novelty. I can't believe I'm a teacher in a way, to be honest, because I I was the I was the kids that I, I'll always remember my first day at university where I had to stand in front of I tried to think how many, <laughs> at least a hundred, probably a lot more than a hundred in a massive lecture theatre. And I just went fluorescent red because that's just what I did. And and it, and now I just I do I feel comfortable talking in front of groups. And I think at that at that level as well, you know, you're talking to people that want to be there. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, yeah. And and so it's yeah, you you all got a common goal really. We absolutely. want to help them, and they they want to do the best they can. Hopefully. Yeah, it makes it easier for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Steve. That's really super interesting to hear about what you do. It's really interesting to hear. All of the reasons why you do it and how what keeps you going and all of the kind of little things that happened for you along the way i think that's always super interesting because it's you know the making is one thing but everything around it really is what creates that space yeah yeah to be able to do that you know and you know accounting your you know personal life because you should you know if you're considering going into the arts any arts consider you know still having a relationship or kids or whatever well, it is that you want in life yeah. but still being able to do what you do like it is possible to do all it's, of those things 
It's definitely possible. I think you just have, you choose your own route, don't you? And it's not always an easy decision. You you have to you have to make that mm. call at the time. What's right for you? There's there will always be work in what we do because there's always a need for it. And and so it, it's just finding your your route in that you feel is is what you want to do the most. Could you tell our audiences where they can find you on socials or or any other links that you might be on? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, at Coltart Music is my Twitter handle. So I, I tend to put up um, posts there on, on sort of upcoming projects. Um, my website is stephencoltart.com. That's got loads of material on there, um, lots of news stories and lots of music um, and, and, and project news. And then Spotify. So Stephen Coltart on Spotify is where a vast majority of my music projects are up. There's some projects that... Uh, due to sort of licensing can't go up on Spotify but then they're in the other usual places like YouTube or Apple Music etc um, but yeah Spotify is, is probably a good place to find a lot of my a lot of my work and there might be some stuff that you recognise Pinnacle is the album on Spotify that's done particularly well and there's a track called Cloud Realm that I believe has been used on Attack of the Titans which is like a Japanese anime oh my um, god oh, Steve oh, you don't know what you've just done oh my god Steve <laughs> oh my I'm having a meltdown <laughs> so yeah there is there is like an official um, Spotify Attack on a Titan um, like feed and that, that track's on it but yeah Cloud Cloud Realm has, has been used I haven't heard it in situ but I understand from speaking to people it's been used for one of the promos or, or trailers Absolutely. so yeah have, i'll tweet you about it later because i have watched <laughs> that series i used to, on my old laptop i used to have a big sticker of have you ever watched the, the anime yes yeah, yeah. definitely uh, i used yeah. to have a big sticker of mikasa on my okay yeah like covering my entire front like i have a cape <laughs> with the you know the green cape that they wear that i wore to EGX last year oh it's, awesome uh, yeah, okay really, really really love the show it's really incredible well, you can definitely tell me later where it's been used then, Viv. Absolutely, I, I've been, yeah. I've been trying, <laughs> I know it definitely has. I just can't figure out exactly. I can't find the exact promo, which is the way of the world with, with of production yeah, music of sometimes. Course. So where is it? I don't know. You Thank you for creating it, but you cannot know where it is. Or... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, there's there's a whole range of things from, from a lot of my early games through to sort of most recent sort of production work. And, and some of the films too. I have, have a listen. I have followed you on Spotify. <laughs> uh, I will be probably following you now because I'm fangirling you very much. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, just be ready for me to be on your heels cool. all the time. Oh, do it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Definitely let us know what you think. That would be brilliant. Oh, amazing. Gosh, well, thanks, Steve. That was, that was all enormously very interesting. Thank you. It really was. And uh, as people know, uh, when we have guests on, uh, we like to give them a challenge. And oh boy, did we give Steve a challenge. We asked you to write a theme tune to a game that we randomly generated. <laughs> so let's all listen to what we sent you as the brief. Hello, Steve. Hello, Steve. Okay, so we are about to randomly generate an idea for a video game for you to write a theme for. Good luck. Okay, let's start with the theme. All right, and spinning the wheel right now. Okay, our theme is romance. Ooh, a I romantic know. game. A romantic game is okay. our theme. 
let's let's see what kind of a genre this romantic game will be in. And spin the wheel. It's a first-person shooter. Woohoo! It's a romantic first-person shooter. <laughs> okay, I like this already. Let's. What's Super next? Our, our time period will be next. And spinning the wheel now. In the eighties. Oh, a romantic eighties first-person shooter. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, final thing we have to decide is what kind of a mood this whole thing will have. Let's spin the wheel. It's a happy one! Aww. Yay! <laughs> it's a happy, romantic, 80-set first-person shooter. Aww. Well, Good luck, Steve. Good luck, Steve. Did you want to talk a little bit about how you felt getting that voice note, Steve? <laughs> yeah, that, I, I thought this was up there with one of the uh, most challenging briefs I've had. Um, <laughs> so it it's was really a byproduct think... of working with Android. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So it, it was, um, if I'm allowed to say, so 80s romantic shooter are probably not three words that would go together. <laughs> Um, very, very often, but I like a challenge. So I, I, um, I, I took a slightly different take on the brief. And so there's definitely eighties vibes. Um, there's definitely a romantic, um, nods, but I've turned it into like a, um, a drive by police shooting storyline to make it, try and make it gamified. Nice. So, okay. um, so yeah, when you listen through, it's only more at this stage, but, um, when you listen through, it'd be great to hear your initial reaction. Okay, well, Viv, should we, should we have a listen? Uh, yeah, the hackings, yes, we should.
Wow. I know. Wow. wow. <laughs> um, uh, um, so Viv said through that that she imagined it in VR. Um, yeah. Which is like, yes, because I also like it's very um, uh, California coastline America. Yeah. Oh, that's so, cool. Like, like genuinely in my brain, like I was already making the game. As the moment Viv said VR, I was like, yes. And then it's um, it's a bit like Pistol Whip, but you're in a car. Yep. And, yep. You, and you get and you get points for avoiding other cars, shooting policemen, and kissing a sexy person next to you. Yep. So that's that's the challenge in VR. You have to kiss, you have to drive, you have to shoot, and that's where you get all your points from. So how many times can you do each of these things, and how many points yes. can you get? Absolutely. Before you crash or get arrested. Maybe the kissing the, the person next to you can give you those bonus points, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like a speed boost the, or something. <laughs> it was definitely up there with, a ch with the, like I say, one of the most challenging ones. I, I, th I think it's the first time I've used saxophone in a track for about a decade. But <laughs> I'm going to keep it going now. Yeah, it's good. Oh, it's, my God, that's really so good. good. You could really visualise being in that game, though. I really like yeah, I could, I'd play that game. I'd play the heck out of that yeah. game. <laughs> well, you've been... It inspired me in a way. So one of my latest production music album is, is 80s based. And so I'm going to use a version of that track as part hey! of that album. So, so it's gone full circle without the sound designs. Uh, I, uh, I, 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 I dare you to try and get the word squishy into the title of the tracks. <laughs> we can find a way. <laughs> oh my goodness, um, that was so okay, great. So so tell us a little bit about like how how you put all that together. Yeah, so in um, so I'm sitting here in my studio at the minute um, because I'm working on this this particular sort of 80s project anyway, which was just a coincidence. So the first part of that brief, I was like, yes, that's a win. Um, the second two words were a bit more of a challenge. Um, but so everything, all the synth parts that you heard are all played live on analog synthesizers, like old synthesizers. Um, so I've got a range of different things in front of me. Um, so like Nord leads if people are into this sort of thing um, and um, my absolute go-to is an access virus which is which is really really like versatile across all sorts of different things and then once I'd created all of the the different sort of synth lines and the parts and the bass then I thought well how can I make this a bit more 80s um, so I, I I started playing a drum pad with different sort of a um, sort of retro based sounds that are linked to it. So using a proper sort of drumstick, but playing playing different patterns on the drum pads, and and then on top of that, I looked online for well, we need, obviously I don't play sax. Um, so <laughs> is, is is there a um, a virtual instrument that can sort of replicate it? Because it's that's quite a complicated instrument to sample, um, and I, I found one that was like in Sit, like would be quite in keeping in situ with that arrangement and so again all of that is played live there's no phrases there um and all done in logic so everything was all wow. produced through wow. and then and then put through an old reel-to-reel -reel emulator to, to get some of that sort of noise and warmth so it, yeah it was, i would say it's about three or four hours work involved um, and the sound designs were, were stocks. The sound designs didn't go out and record police cars. Um, they, they are, they are um, just, just some sort of royalty-free um, sound designs that are put on at the last minute just to, again, to gamify it, to put some context into it with, with the brief. Wow. It was fun. 
Oh my goodness, it was, good it was really great. I was also just expecting like a, sort of like a minute of something, and then you know, because it's quite it's a lot of work putting that together. But it was that track is is a good three minutes. Take the sound designs off, and that could be could be used in so many different ways. I think that's where it's interesting that music by itself can tell so many different stories. It's then when ambiences, sound and mm. sound effects, everything else goes on top. Dialogue, that's when a story will. will transform into something different so it, all of those things together is a good example of how you can quickly change your idea of what's going on just by adding yeah. a couple of different elements in and it's crazy because when you're sometimes when you're playing something or watching something you, you really do infer a lot of meaning from music from everything you're receiving but from music you know that particularly uh, like I, I always really notice it more when it's more of a tense film, you know, when it builds up. And you mm-hmm. don't really sometimes don't notice that it's building up, but you can feel that something is about to happen. And there's really a lot that happens in the music that helps you, you know, drive the story and keep you in the in that uh, what's happening in that realm of whatever the you know, media is, whether it's a game or a film. And it, it really does so much. And I'm so, I think particularly because I work with it for a living, um, I'm so just always in tune to it. And I just, I really love... I really love, like, I don't know, I really love that. I just could really imagine myself just by listening to that, having contact, I could have imagined the whole thing. Well, perhaps I should write some music for one of your um, dance groups, Viv. I mean, I mean, now you know, now you know I'm definitely going that's to a, email that's you. That's a good collaboration. <laughs> yeah. If you want a real challenge, uh, I, I will I will send you a real challenge. Maybe, Andrew, we can can get you dancing as well. Um, and Steve, <laughs> Steve can make us a crumb track. Viv, yeah. I, own, I only, I only Kaylee dancer. Steve is going to do a traditional <laughs> Scottish dancing track with, with a hip-hop beat. I'm there. <laughs> We'll something that, out. We can find a way. There's always a way. Oh, but wow. Steve, when you were when you were talking about how music can be interpreted differently depending on blah 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 blah, uh, mm. and I'm going to set another challenge, not to you, Steve, but to the okay. listeners. I want to know what game you were envisioning when you were listening to Steve's music. Like, what what were you seeing? What were you feeling? Like, what kind of experience were you imagining? Let us know either on uh, our Twitter or on the Instagram or on our Discord. We really want to know what you were imagining. Uh, Steve, very serious. This is serious, Steve. When this, we've had our fun. This is serious now. What is your favourite video game theme, and who is your favourite composer? I guess more for video games than just in general. Oh, favourite theme. Now that that is a tricky one. Now I, I think if we're going by more modern based projects, then I absolutely loved the Last of Us series. Yes! So I think. So Steve, I think you keep triggering Viv. Literally, <laughs> my favourite person. Yeah. <laughs> so the music in that was just unbelievable. So I, I think there's I can't mention just a single one from that, but that entire soundtrack and the the first one in particular was just mm. really was a really lovely original take. I think that that made inspired lots of other game soundtracks that came after. Um, as a kid, without a doubt, Super Mario World on SNES. I think, hey, like all all of those. So all of those things. So a real sort of mixture. But I mean, I, the Last of Us um, soundtrack is just just knockout, and it will it works in its own right. And that's when you know it's a really good piece of music. Yeah, and it's it's a piece of music that just got remade for the second for the Last of Us Part Two. It actually just got yeah. uh, remade acoustically. It was just so good, it held its own. 
I think that's brilliant. I mean, Ori and the Blind Forest, Gareth Coker. I think that those soundtracks yeah. are just beautiful mm. as well. Um, but yeah, Last of Us for me. Well, that wasn't so difficult at all, was no. it? I don't, know what, I don't know what you were so worried about, Steve. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to try to get me to do a dance at one moment. I was like, no. <laughs> um, yeah, we would uh, just record you dancing though, and then just expect our listeners to envision That's it. exactly what you were doing just by hearing. Um, the shuffling around now I'm only playing Um, no thank you so much Steve it's really been a pleasure having you on and hearing about um, everything Um, I think you're really an incredible human uh, and I really look forward to checking out some of these games and some more of your music brilliant oh thanks very much both and let's definitely do this dance collaboration I'm I'm really up for that so let's know what sort of music you'd like and what's and we'll we'll sort something out oh amazing woo all right (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited have a good day both thank you so much much. have a great rest of your day yeah cheers yeah bye yeah bye 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 so Andrew Yes, hello. Do you have anything that you are looking forward to that is coming out very soon? Actually, I've got something that you should be looking forward to. Yeah? They just announced a complete remake, reimagining, re-thing of Sherlock Holmes The Awakened. Oh, okay. Um, which originally came out in 2006. But yeah, they're completely redoing it. Like, it's going to have new story elements. They're redoing like a lot of the story entirely there's gonna be new side quests new characters blah 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 blah. it'll feel like i mean i don't think you played i haven't played the original one no uh, i've only really have. played uh crimes and punishments and the devil's daughter whatever it was uh and i think the new one that came out i've not played any of that yeah we still haven't played chapter one we will get around to it yeah yes so it's yeah it's uh, sherlock holmes meets hp uh, lovecraft uh, mm. So there's going to be like all Cthulhu shit and creepy stuff all over the place in this. Yes, uh, it's due out in 2023. That's for all, all we really know about it. it. Looks, looks beautiful. And coming out on the 18th of August, uh, which is next week, I believe, is a game called We Are OFK, and it's a music biopic game series uh, by the indie band OFK. And there's going to be five episodes, and they're kind of describing them as like interactive EPs. Okay. And they, they it's kind of described as uh, it's four friends and a cat dreaming, dating, and paying rent in Los Angeles. Oh my gosh, I love it! I need it. <laughs> so it's it, it's the they say it's going to be over four weeks, so the episodes are released weekly. Yeah, it looks it looks like it'll be a bit uh, again like one of those telltale kind of kind of interactive story typey things. You can go ahead and wish list that now. And, yeah. soon. and I guess, um, as is customary for me, uh-huh. I will be mentioning this until the day it comes out, and probably after as well, is that the remaster of The Last of Us Part 1 is coming out on the 2nd of September. So just That's be, very get soon. ready, get, get ready to listen to that for every episode between now and then. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yes, there's that to look forward to as well. So soon. I can't wait to borrow that from you. Thank you for listening, everyone. We appreciate it very much. If you would like, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter on at Game with Squishy. And if you'd like to support us, you can make a donation for as little as the price of coffee on our Ko-fi page. That's ko-fi.com slash the Squishy Stream. Just like our recent supporter Lap did. Oh, thank you, Thank Lap. you, Lap. <laughs> <laughs>
Please also join us on our Discord to chat about the show and for some supplemental information from each episode. If you would like to come join us and chat, we would really love to hear your game ideas for Steve's music. And if you'd like to ask us a question for the surprise question, you can do so on our Discord or using the hashtag AskASquishy on Twitter. Seen any weird gaming news? Put a link on the Discord, we'd love to see it, and we can chat about it in a future episode. Thank you again for listening, everyone. Thank you, you Squishy. You may go now. Thank you, Squishies. Bye. Bye. Squishied it.